Now we're coming to uh, read God's word and uh, think about it together. So let's pray as we do that and ask him to give us understanding. Please pray with me. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the kindness that it is that you speak to us so clearly in the Bible. Father, we also thank you for your kindness to us in your free gift of your son. Father, we pray that as we study your word now, we would think hard, but also that we would love, that we would love your son, and uh, from that, that we would love each other more. In his name, amen. Now, do you know the phrase, uh, you are what you eat? You are what you eat. It's that idea that what you put into your body will determine how it grows, right? So if you put in healthy food, you'll grow up strong and healthy. If you put in unhealthy food, you'll, you'll probably just grow, you know? <laughs> you, you'll have lots of problems with, with sickness, illness, you know, heart disease, on and on. So, so what you put into your body really shapes it, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of the same with the church. What you, what you put into the church will shape it. What we are taught and what we teach shapes how we live, for good or for bad. And this is why Paul, in the book of Titus, is so concerned that the man Titus will know the right thing to teach. Because if the church... Uh, where Titus is in Crete, if it feeds on the right thing, it'll grow strong. If not, it will end up not just weak, but ruined. So let's have a look at Titus chapter 2 and see exactly what it is that Titus is to teach. Please have your Bibles open there at Titus chapter 2. Now last week Paul finished off chapter 1 by saying something really offensive, really offensive. He says these words, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. Detestable, disobedient, they can't do anything good. Who's he talking about? What's the problem? Well, Titus's little church there on Crete faces this danger from a particular group of people and their words their unhealthy message. These people are teaching false doctrine and it's ruining whole households. They are unfit, unhealthy, unable to do anything good. And these people, these false teachers, are surrounding the church in Crete. So what will Titus feed his church so that they grow up healthy and strong in godliness, pleasing to God, obedient to Him. See, Titus is to be a teacher as well, but a teacher in the opposite direction. He is to teach his people to live in a way that matches up with healthy doctrine, to live according to to true teaching. So the church is surrounded by these unhealthy teachers, but look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to Titus, Yes, they're out there, but as for you, Titus, verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. 
What is it that, that Titus should teach, though? What's the content of what he should teach? What matches up with sound doctrine? Well, sound living matches up with sound doctrine. Living in a, play, in a way that pleases God. And in, in verses 2 to 10, as we go on, it's like Paul outlines a, a training program for Titus's church. A, a godliness training program. Titus is to teach five different groups and he starts off by talking to older men in the church. Now, older men, they are supposed to be pillars of respectability. They should exercise good control over themselves and act in honourable ways. They should be steadfast as Christians and they should produce those those great uh, fruit of faith, love and endurance. Endurance never giving up on loving others. And as life goes on, and, and these older men, they've, they've seen so much and experienced so much, they should never give up on Jesus. This is what they are to learn in this godliness training program. See it there in verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. In the same way, Titus is to teach older women. These older women, they're supposed to live like the men, honourable lives. They should exercise self-control as well. And they should to live in a way that others can admire. They are to love God and obey him in the way they live. They are to be careful in how they speak, not using their tongues to tear others down. They are to show restraint in drinking alcohol. And they too should teach. These older women are to actively pass on good doctrine and godly behaviour to younger women. So Titus is to teach the older women to be admirable, people you could look up to, people worth imitating. This is the training program for older women. See it there in verses 3 and 4. Likewise, Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women. And in this godliness training program, younger women are to learn how to love their families in practical ways. Practical love for families. Now, in the first century... Just note that it would have been reasonable, a reasonable assumption that these young women were all either married or engaged. So husbands and children are always in the picture. And these young women, they're supposed to be faithful to their husbands, self-controlled. They are to promote a family life of peace and good order by putting in effort at home, by not neglecting their responsibilities. And they are to respect their husband's position as head of the household. And they are to do all of this with kindness. But you'll see in these verses that the impact that these young women have doesn't just stop at the four walls of her house. As they are fed and as they grow in godliness, their impact goes outside to society. These young women's loving devotion to husband and children can impact Crete. 
when people look at her actions, they will have nothing bad to say. Nothing at all. And not just nothing bad to say about her, like, oh, isn't she a nice little girl? But nothing bad to say about the word of God itself. I can imagine her neighbours in Crete looking at her life and saying, what is it that's shaping her family? How is it so healthy? Where did she learn to live like that? Have a look in verses 4 and 5. Look at the impact of these young women's lives. Halfway through verse 4. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Well, next comes the training program for young men. And Titus himself is to be the role model for these younger men. He's to encourage them again to be self-controlled. Now this would include self-control in the areas of sex and alcohol. But it doesn't just stop there. It's, it's even bigger than that. See, the lesson for these young men is to basically be anti-Cretan. Let me explain. Now Titus, as the role model, he is to do what is good... He's to show integrity in his teaching and he's to hold on to good doctrine. This is to be the example to young Cretan men. But Titus' example is a new way to be Cretan. Uh, They can be healthy Cretans, redeemed Cretans, these young men. If you were here last week, do you remember from chapter 1, that catchphrase about Cretans? You know, Paul quotes this phrase, all Cretans are are liars and evil brutes and, and lazy gluttons, and everyone knows this. If that's Cretan culture, then these young men are to be thoroughly countercultural. The anti Cretans. Instead of being liars, they can have integrity. Instead of being evil brutes, they can be serious in their speech. Instead of being lazy gluttons, they'll exercise self control. And again, the impact of, of Titus's example won't just stop at these young men. Those on the outside and those who oppose Titus, they'll have their mouths stopped. They'll look at Titus's example and will have nothing bad to say. It'll, it'll be so obviously good, so, so obviously healthy, that the opponent will feel bad, feel ashamed, just even thinking bad thoughts about Titus and these young guys. So this is how Titus is to train young men. Look there in verses 6 through to 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Now the last group that Titus is to address is a little different. This part of the godliness training program is for slaves. And it's interesting here that this group is is in amongst older men and women because it kind of shows how important these people were for society back then. And so, no matter what 
Paul thinks of slavery, he felt he couldn't address his church without including these people. It would just be strange not to have them there. So, what is Titus to teach them? Well, he's to teach these slaves to be surprising. Surprising. They are to surprise their masters with their willing obedience, their polite speech, and their absolute trustworthiness. Now, think with me. You could imagine the constant temptation for slaves, couldn't you? Your master is there. He is the one who has absolute control over you. He is keeping you in submission. It would be too easy to see your master as the enemy. But most likely, he's an enemy that you live with in his house, surrounded by his stuff, maybe even entrusted with his money to manage it. And so the temptation would be to hate him and to work only to avoid punishment and perhaps just to skim off a bit of the money when he's not looking. All too easy. So imagine how surprising it would be to meet a slave who did the opposite. Imagine the impact of a kind and honest and trustworthy slave. Again, you might ask, why are they like this? And that slave could answer, because even though I'm your slave, Jesus has freed me. He has freed me from wickedness. I don't have to steal or lie or abuse your name. I'm free from that. You see here how how truth leads to action for the slave, how sound doctrine leads to godliness for him. And a slave trained in godliness like that, he just shines the spotlight on God the Saviour. Look there in verses 9 and 10. See the, see the training for slaves. Verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. So there you go. That's what Titus is to teach those different groups in his church. Men and women, young and old, all taught to be godly. This is what is in accordance with sound doctrine. And as as Titus teaches this, the church will grow in godliness. Healthy message in, healthy church out. But where does this sound doctrine come from? Does Titus just make it up out of thin air? No, 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 no. That's what the false teachers were doing. And that sort of fake teaching just leads to unhealthy churches. No, here in verse 11, God tells us that his grace teaches us. His grace teaches us. Titus is to teach his people to live this way because God's grace has appeared. God the Saviour has given us a free gift. Jesus has come. And in this godliness training program, grace is the ultimate teacher. 
See there in verses 11 and 12. Why is Titus supposed to teach these things? Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us. And the lesson it teaches has two parts. There's a no and a yes. Firstly, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace teaches us to say no to to lies, to evil behavior, to, to laziness. And secondly, grace teaches us to say yes to godliness. Because denying ungodliness leaves all this space in life to live godly lives. You know that idea of of clearing out space? When was the last time you cleared out your fridge? You know, you you, you look in your fridge, maybe after Christmas it's particularly bad. You look at your fridge and it's jam-packed with leftovers, with old food, with things that just aren't really healthy anymore. You know that red curry in the back of the fridge that has now turned into a green curry? So you clean out your fridge, right? You pull out all the old junk, all the stuff that's gone off, the stuff that's rotten. You clear it all out, you give it a good wipe, and now it's empty. What do you do? Well, you pack it full of fresh food, good stuff, healthy stuff, hopefully. You clear out the bad, you make room for the good to come in. So God's grace teaches us to clear out the ungodliness, say no to that, and godliness... Yes, come on in. Have a look there in verse 12. God's grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What is it about God's grace that we can... That means we can learn godliness now. Well, both the the no and the yes are based on God's grace in Jesus, in what Jesus did. Jesus' death achieves these two great things, two things we could never have done ourselves. Jesus' death, it it frees us from being slaves to sin. Jesus' death, it pays the price to release us from slavery. And Jesus' death, likewise, purifies us. He picks us up and, and cleans us off and says, I've picked you out specially. I have a purpose for you to do good. Both things in Jesus' death, freedom and purification. Now notice this, all of that is God's free gift. So how can we be taught to live as godly men and women, young and old? We don't come up with it. We don't just wake up one day and say, oh, today I think I'm going to free myself from wickedness. No. This all comes from outside us, from God, for free. So godliness flows directly on from what Jesus did in his death. Ultimately, grace teaches godliness. Grace teaches godliness. Look at God's free gift of Jesus in verses 13 and 14. 
Now, if you want a piece of sound doctrine to feed on, here it is. Verse 13 talks about our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Titus has grace as his ultimate teacher. So he can pass on this teaching to men and women with full confidence. No one can stand against him. The godliness that results from grace is is undeniably healthy, even in the eyes of outsiders. So those false teachers, they've got nothing to say. And this is how Paul encourages Titus in our last verse, in verse 15 there. Have a look. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Well, what have we seen here in Titus chapter 2? Good food is going to build a healthy body. And sound doctrine is going to build a healthy church. We've seen that opposed to those false teachers, Titus is to teach what accords with sound doctrine, the, the true message of salvation. He is to teach men and women, young and old, free and slave, to live lives of godliness. These are the lives that fit with the message of salvation. The message that Jesus died to free you from ungodliness and to to make you ready for godliness. So because God's grace has appeared in Jesus, older men can be honourable. Older women can be admirable. Younger women can love their families. Young men can be self-controlled. Slaves, they can be surprisingly godly. Grace teaches godliness. So what should we do with this truth, this sound doctrine? Brothers and sisters, we must be students of grace. Students of grace. We must never let go of God's grace. In what we teach here, in what we feed on, it must be grace, grace and more grace. We must always come back to the cross of Jesus. Are you a Christian here tonight? I hope you are. If so, remember that you are free. Free from slavery. You don't have to give in to sin anymore. And remember that Jesus has purified you. He's picked you out as as his own. You are ready to do good. Feed on this truth. And with this healthy diet, what should you be like? Well, where are you in life? What has God said to you today? Are you an older man? Now, I'm tempted here to say, no, you're all in the young category. But older men, are you honourable? Are you tempted by maybe alcohol or tempted to just give in to anger? Are you tempted to be lazy? Are you tempted to give up on Jesus? Or are you a man who is fighting the fight, fighting the fight for self-control year after year as life goes on? 
Are you looking for every opportunity to love? And are you falling back on Jesus when you fail? Now, in God's grace, you can endure and keep fighting that fight. Older women, are you admirable? Are you careful with your speech? Not using it for gossip or complaint, but using your words to encourage younger women to godliness. Is God's grace in Jesus shaping you into someone worth looking up to? Because you've been given a healthy message. So the question is, who are you going to feed with it? Who can you bring into your home or, or in, around you at work? Or who can you connect with here at church that you can train in godliness? Because God says that you are, you are a teacher. You're a teacher of what is good. So that younger women can love their families well. Is there space in your life to share God's word and share your own experience of family life? Which young women can you train in godliness? And so, younger women, are you seeking out this good teaching? Because your godliness can shape a a healthy, good family life. These verses present a beautiful thing, a stable, loving home. God's word here is asking you to be devoted at home. Now, it's not saying that you can't go out and find a job and work outside the home. But it is saying that the well-being of your family should be a top priority. It's a responsibility to be embraced and carried out with care, but not alone. You see, it's a responsibility that you carry out with the help of older women older, godly women. Now, a a loving home environment will have a massive impact on on a husband and and children, if you have them, but not just on them. Uh, Think about it in our society. In a society where there is so much brokenness in families, imagine what your godliness at home can do. It'll shine out. It'll be obvious, showing what God's grace can achieve. And of course, for for unmarried younger women, although you're not directly addressed here in this passage, there is still so much to learn from older Christian women and learning how how to live out your whole life in a way that reveres God. So, young women, which older women can you be learning from? Let me speak to young men. Younger men, are you countercultural? Are you countercultural in your self-control? Are you in training? Is your backbone hardening up so that you can say no? You can say no to your mates when you're tempted to compromise. Those temptations, the classic ones, alcohol and sexual sin, they will always pop up. Here's another sneaky one for you. Are you tempted to be lazy? Now, those, those temptations are always going to come. They're always going to pop up and say, come on, just, just give in. Just, just enjoy yourself. When they come along, young men, remember that you are redeemed. You are free and you are clean. You're one of Jesus' very own, ready to do what is good. You're not a slave anymore. 
Be countercultural. Young men, be students of grace. Now, for you slaves out there, like, none of us are technically Roman slaves, are we? But the principles apply, I think. When we're given a job to do, when we're entrusted with something, are we being surprising to those over us in authority? At work or uni or school? Not talking back or ripping off the boss? Not... not just letting out that, that thing that we've been entrusted slip. Showing incredible faithfulness, on the other hand. Devoted to doing a good job with what we've been entrusted. Whether it's a work project, a group assignment at uni, or, or your school homework every night of the week. Is your godliness surprising? Now, friends, these are just some ways that we can express Godliness. Godliness. These are, these are just some of the characteristics of students of grace. Now when we feed on that healthy message of God's grace, when we, when we realise that we are free and clean, we will grow in godliness. Friends, I don't know about you, but I am so glad that grace is my ultimate teacher. God's grace brings freedom to live a truly healthy life. So friends, let's keep on thinking, let's keep on studying, let's keep learning, let's keep living out God's grace. And let's keep enjoying God's grace as we strive for godliness. Let's pray together now. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for Jesus, that he died and rose again, that in his death he freed us and he's purified us. Lord, we pray that we would remember your grace. Father, help us to live those lives of godliness. Help us to be self-controlled and countercultural. Help us to be honourable. Help us to teach others. Father, we pray that as we hear your word now and obey you, that you would make and maintain our church in great health, not just for its own sake, but for your glory. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.